1: Falcon becomes Captain America, okay? But he still has (gasps) his Falcon away. Son of a... Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. CinemaSins.
2: Alright everybody, welcome to the Sincast, this is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott.
0: Hey, hey, hey-ho there.
2: Yeah, there you go. And from music video sins, Barrett
3: Yeah, I'm here! I'm here! Yeah,
2: It's how my mom says it. Yeah, be, be, yeah. People are going to start thinking that your name is spelt with a Z now. After how I pronounce <laughs> that, but that's, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Uh, does anybody is anybody pissed off about something? You want to rant about
3: something?
0: I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset.
3: Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus.
0: Oh, uh, I am. I'm gonna go. I'm taking it. I'm taking Let's it. Let's do it. Here we go. There are. Two or three kinds of news that need to stop being articles about news and start being push notifications to my phone. All right, so one of these is product recalls. Uh, Now, I don't know about you guys, but I consume a lot of internet and news on my phone. Uh, I have an Android phone which has a news app, um, which kind of personalizes the news based on what I read or tend to read, but I'm still clicking through to mobile versions of real websites. And the headlines are often, do you have this in your pantry? Throw it away right now. Mm -hmm. And I have to click through to give you a goddamn page view for your ad money in order to find out what might kill me. Mm -hmm. And I think that is inherently evil and wrong and i'm sick of it another one that happens is like manhunt underway in your county and i click through because i certainly want to know if he's in my bushes and instead of a picture i get a video ad on top of a video segment from one of the local TV news people. I have to wade through more advertising and fucking news anchors before I can get a picture of the guy who may or may not be outside lurking, waiting to kill me. Hmm. And I think that should be a push notification. Hey, if it's it's in a certain region. Now, the one that I think they do regularly is Amber Alerts, right? If there's an Amber Uh Alert, I usually get a notification on my phone that I never signed up for. The government is just pushing those to me, and that's outstanding. It helps us find kids. I get the the silver alert ones too, when it's a senior citizen that's, that's missing. But when it's like a wanted person or a feature of my car that means I should stop driving it immediately or something in my fridge or pantry that could kill me, stop making it news and push that shit to my phone. Let me opt out of it if I don't want it, <laughs> if I want to be ignorant, if I want to go on the internet and... Make someone make money in order to find out what to, I should stop eating. That's my choice. But you should make that all push notifications to people's phones. God damn it. And a brand. I like
1: <laughs> it. Hey, let me ask you a question, though. And Chris has an iPhone like me. When you get an Amber Alert, does it give you any information, though?
0: Yes. Like It, it screeches like a dying pig. And then mm-hmm. when I look at it, it gives me uh an area a city or a county i think yeah and usually a description of a car
1: i think i just get the area chris do you get the the description of the i
2: have i have gotten uh a a description of cars i have gotten a description of when they where they last were seen uh were or were you know that that type of thing i mean usually it's 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 detailed that way now most of the time amber alerts I understand that they want to get a wide area because these people could be, you know, there could be abductors taking them anywhere and everything. But a lot of times it's like, you know, Paris, Tennessee or something. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, okay. I mean, I understand why you do this, but the chances of me finding them, are gonna be one in a million probably mm-hmm. um i mean maybe they do re- actually reach a million people and that one in a million does does find them i don't know i actually don't know if it works when jeremy said that we're finding kids i don't know if we are or not i guess we are if they keep doing i just it.
0: i feel like i see a lot of headlines this is probably just not factual it's just my experience but i feel like i see a lot of uh amber alert canceled um child found, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um and uh, yeah, I think they probably could stand to do some tinkering on the, the range of how they send those out. And I'm not sure how that's decided. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. at the cell phone company level or if it's at like, I don't know, honestly, cause yeah, mm-hmm. Paris, Tennessee, we're not going to be that helpful. Um, but I do think, I'll Google it later and find out, but I do think it helps. Um, and I think they should do the same thing with, uh, severe weather. I now have an app, um, and, uh, I, I, can customize it pretty well. And so if there's a tornado headed towards my house, uh, it's going to screech like a dying pig and that'll wake me up <laughs> or let me know, but that should be a push notification from the national weather service. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have to like go looking for that information.
2: Yeah. Um, is that the, is that the app that the severe, the Nashville severe Twitter has pushed? It's a different, it's not them, but it's the, it's, no. a, it's a, it's a different app. Yeah. It's they, the one they recommend. They on. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah i know totally those things, those things are annoying though i mean i understand I, I understand the i understand the like um importance and the emergency of it and everything but man screeching at you like that i mean i i'm just as just as likely to see the the silent notifications that show up on my phone because your phone is like uh you know a complete black mass and then when it brightens up you notice yeah. it most of the time
0: i so, mean that's screeching when i'm in the middle of going number three
2: i know i know i know <laughs> it, it's uh it, uh it ruins everything yeah um um i'll 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 go ahead on the next one um this gives me a chance to do two things at once because, uh, we had, uh, um, one of our, one of our, uh, I think one of our sin clubbers, uh, uh Jacoby who, who, uh, asked our question for, mm-hmm. uh, the Patreon only, uh, cast that we did the, the, uh, the one question that we asked that we answered, uh, he sent a package. Uh, I think it was, I think this package was supposed to get to us before sin week which was a month ago. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he contacted me through Facebook saying, hey, have you gotten this yet? And usually I, I wait to go to the post office because we have those uh, cards we send out to our sin club members and everything. And, uh, and that's a perfect time to do it. Somewhere around 13th, 14th, 15th, go to the post office and get everything done. You can, you can go check the post office box, all of that. Uh, and I said, I will, I will, I said, I'll look for this package when I go there around the 14th or 15th. So this, it took him a long time to actually get it to where we were because we don't do a very good job of putting the PO box out there for all of you guys to, to, uh, to, to, you know, to see and everything. I think we've got it in a couple of places, but you got to go through, you know, probably like five different links or something to find it. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, I was like, I was like, all right, I'll just get this package when I, when I go in and mail my cards. I go to the post office and usually when I go to the P- the PO box, I open up the door and there's a yellow slip in there that says you got something waiting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And this yeah. time, <laughs> this time there was no yellow slip. There was nothing there.
0: Oh. Um,
2: and I told him, I I went back and told him, I was like, usually there's a yellow slip in here. There's not one. And uh, he, he called the post office and everything. He found somebody. Uh, who is like, oh yeah, you know, we, I've got that package. It just, they just didn't, uh, put, they didn't put the card in the right place. And I was figuring, oh, now that they found that out, they'll give me my card and then I can go pick it up the next time. No, that's not what fucking happened. Hmm. You would think, you would think once this error has been, has been, uh, you know, uh, made clear that. Oh, somebody's coming to get this package. I should go ahead and just go ahead and put a yellow slip in so that when he goes to the desk where they do all the business at the post office, they can go back and get it. And there's not any, but, but apparently in this case, I kept on having to ask for a manager who knew where the, where the box was. And every time I went to the post office, this manager wasn't there or. (laughs) They were not they weren't gonna be they weren't there when I got there, but they would be there two hours later or something of course i couldn't, I couldn't be there two hours later um and uh and I did this maybe two or three times, trying to go up to the to the post office you know uh, business area and say, "Can I talk to this person? They're not here, okay, can I speak to any manager? Well, there's no manager gonna be here until blah 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 like the okay hell, man. Uh, like and and they went back and they couldn't find the package. All this other stuff. Finally, uh, I went. Uh, I think it was Monday. I was uh, yesterday, yesterday or Saturday. I can't remember what it was. Um, I went in and the, by this point, the person that is behind that desk has seen me come in here three times, <laughs> so knows who I am. And so I ask, "Is this person is the manager in today?" And she goes, "Oh, your package is here. It's back, right back here." And I was like oh is it it's that easy now huh it's that easy (laughs) and she got she got the manager guy who was there at the time and uh and uh and and he found it somewhere i'm like okay look i know we have a lot of problems with the post office there's a lot of reasons why the post office is the way it is these days a lot of reasons for it um A lot of people look at that in a vacuum and say, well, the post office in and of itself is bad. No, there's a lot of other things happening behind the scenes They're making the post office bad. But once somebody comes in for a package and you've been called by the person who sent it and all this other type of stuff, why is it so hard to put the package where it needs to be? Now, I'll give the post office one thing. This guy kept the package, even though uh, it, normal rules would have, have dictated that it got sent back on the 19th. It was going to get sent back to the center. Um So they kept it, which is to their credit. But at the same time, if you're this manager and you know what the P.O. box is, why is that fucking hard to mm. put a yellow slip in my box and put the box where it needs to be? Why do I have to find you to get the goddamn package? It's kind of the fundamental tenet of the
1: post office, right? Is yeah, to be able to locate the package. Anyone can take
2: them. <laughs> I, I I was I was floored, and and you know. If I had been in a different mood that day, I ended up being like, "Oh, thanks for keeping it for me, blah blah blah," and just going up the post office. You know, <laughs> if I had been in a different mood, if I had been in a different mood that day, I would have been like, "Let me ask you something. Why the <laughs> fuck do I have to come here and ask for your you specifically to get this package when it's got the fucking address on it, or you That's know what address it ever. is. Oh, yeah, it was is... very very frustrating. But anyway. That's- Thank you, Jacoby, for uh, sending this package. It has a million different fucking comic books in it. Like, it's a stack that's just huge. It's like the, it's like the stack that Steve Carell puts his head on in that Dan in real life post. Um, uh, it's a huge, it's like bigger than that, even. It's bigger than that. He sent us, a, he sent us a, like a seven-page letter. It was very nice, so very much appreciate that you sent this. It was a uh, hell on earth for him to send it because I've heard every every bad detail about him sending it. And it was a pain in the ass to fucking get it. So, I'm uh, glad we got it now. But anyway, yeah. thank you, Jacoba. Thank yeah. you. The important mm-hmm.
1: thing is, is that it inspired a Dan in real life reference. It did. Yeah. I feel like that. It did. That's yeah.
0: important that was, thing. That was really worth the whole thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A Dan in real life reference, uh, James mm-hmm. E. Hop oh yeah later later in
1: the show we're working
2: on a different level we're working on a different level today
1: you know what i've been doing a lot lately is uh crossword puzzles and i'm i've I've found different uh synonyms for torn like ripped and (laughs) rift and and uh, you know stuff like that and and i'm trying to find a more elegant way to say that i'm torn between two rants because i do kind of want to talk about the oscars which i think was a bit of a shit show even more than normal But Mm -hmm. look, there's a million people talking about the fucking Oscars. All right. Anthony Hopkins did nothing wrong. Chadwick Boseman and and Riz Ahmed, maybe too got hosed. We're always going to have those conversations, move along. Everything's fine. What I do want to talk about is one central issue of the Falcon and the
2: Winter Soldier. Mm. Chris, Mm. did
1: you watch this?
2: I have not seen this series. No. You didn't watch any of it no. so far. Okay. No.
1: Uh and Jeremy, I think you said that you've been spoiled for virtually everything, right? Yeah, I know everything that happens in it. Yeah, but you haven't <clears throat> seen the actual thing. I haven't seen it. Um I have to tell you you're not missing much. That's what um, I do. Um I, I I don't like these two characters particularly Bucky <laughs> as we've we've detailed many times before. Uh but I didn't like wanda or vision or really care about them all that much until i watched wandavision which i thought was a revelation it ain't perfect but i thought mm-hmm. wandavision was just a lot of fun it was wholly original very original mm-hmm. and i think it delivered on a lot of the things uh that that i wasn't even expecting yeah i didn't even really expect anything from falcon and winter soldier again I don't have any connection, really, with either one of these things. I actively kind of hate Bucky's characters. Nothing to do with Sebastian Stan. I love him in The Martian. It's fine. But uh, so, you know, and it opens up with with a tremendous action scene in the beginning episode. And it sets up a few cool things. This this miniseries or season one or whatever the fuck it is, is so short that they missed almost every opportunity. The whole thing everybody knows by now is that Falcon becomes captain America. Okay. But he still has his Falcon
0: wing. Right? Son of a fucking <laughs> bitch. Yeah. Uh, he still has his
1: Falcon wing. So it's like, nah, all right, fine. They dove into uh, Zemo's backstory here. They dove into kind of like his motivations moving forward. They dove into uh, this quote terrorist organization led by the fantastic actress that played Enfys Nest in uh, Solo. I forget her name, uh, but she's terrific in this. Uh, They dove into systemic racism about uh, a black super soldier who has now grown older and has been essentially discarded uh, by the U.S. government. But they didn't tie up any of this stuff. They didn't. ah, It's so frustrating by the end of it, I'm like, why did I watch this? It's, it's, you know, it's an interstitial. It's, it literally could be a post credit scene in an Avengers movie. Whereas WandaVision was a complete story. Now it, again, it wasn't perfect. It didn't tie up everything. Uh, it didn't make sense all the time, but like, just give me, as Jeremy would say, something that coheses and something that makes sense and sure, if you want to set up a million things for the next one, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, is uh, introduced in this series, which is a pleasure, but there ain't nothing about her character that I know. It's just set up for, for other stuff. So if you're going to do this, it ain't for the dark world bad, but it's, it's not good. And I don't know why they did it. I understand last thing. I understand that COVID had an impact as it did with everything on the filming the availability and stuff like that but man if if you're not going to get this into a cohesive story i don't know why you do it
0: i think most of these marvel shows are going to be um bridges um between various movies and they're going to be hit or miss on whether they are good self-contained shows so WandaVision, from all appearances, seems to be a good and self-contained show, but it's also clearly setting up, in my opinion, from what I, again, I haven't seen it, but I've read all about it, um, to set up Doctor Strange uh, giggity-boogity, and maybe... (laughs) And
1: it does both,
0: yes. It is a story unto itself.
1: so this is clearly
0: going to set up future movies, and it just, again, from the sound of it, um, I have read, you know, it's okay. That seems to be the general consensus, at least among people that I follow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, let's not fool ourselves. We're, we're being given breadcrumbs <laughs> and led down a path. And most of us are doing it willingly. And I think that's okay. As long as we understand what's going on, at least the first one out seems to have been a home run, but don't tell me this Loki show isn't being done to set up either some future technology or his appearance in a future movie or what have you. Um, I'm sure they've got some insane board with thumbtacks and strings and you could oh, never I guarantee, make yeah, any yeah, fucking I sense of it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. if you weren't them. Um, and I just think some of them are going to be good and some of them won't. And some of them are, some of them are tryouts, I think. Um, to see how the audience likes more minor characters, like we're getting a She-Hulk show, um, and I, I can't. <laughs> I help thought but for
2: a minute you said She-Hulk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a bunch of women we're, out there. We're like are revive, <laughs> revive hee haw, but we're gonna call it shee haw. And the, the
0: awesome. in house band is gonna be the chicks. yes exactly.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, I you know I guess I've been we've all been spoiled with with Marvel content because even when it's not great, like Iron Man three, like it's it's a story and yes it does set up a lot of stuff in the future. Age of Ultron set up a bunch of stuff in the future. And I do not like that movie, but it is a story unto itself. You know what I mean? So, I'm not used to Marvel just and this is a lot of money they sunk into a tryout. You're you're absolutely right, but it's like okay, all right. Um I I have a lot more um elan for the upcoming Loki show than I do for trying to get it up for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, Did
2: they, did they just make a, an action TV show with Falcon and the Winter Soldier or, or I mean, was it anything different really? Like it definitely wasn't the same sort of narrative arc that Wanda, WandaVision had. Uh, But was it, was it like watching an MCU movie in TV form or what was it?
1: That's the problem. That's the central problem I think I have with it, is that, yes, there were were long stretches with no action, though. Um, The problem is, if they had done that, if they had done Lou Ferrigno's Hulk, or like the Fall Guy,
2: or like the $6 million
1: man, or something like that, or
2: MacGyver. Quincy, M.D.
1: Quincy, M.D. (laughs) Uh, If they had leaned into that action show aesthetic, it would have been... I I think a home run. And mm-hmm. god bless him for trying to attack the issues of race and the uh, the the issues of trauma and the issues of, you know, um codependency and family and stuff like that. I applaud that. But man, if you I I I think you could lean more into the uh into the more populist stuff or mm-hmm. decide you're going to go like WandaVision and dive into that grief shit, like fucking head first mm. and really go into it. And that pays off too. So yeah. I, I think they were right in the middle of all that. Uh, and I, I just don't know why I, that's, that's my issue. I, I wasted, I don't know, four and a half hours of my life watching this show. Yeah, I feel like I was rewarded.
2: Um, So we are going to revisit one of our, uh one of our categories, one of our topics uh that we've done in the past, it's the heart of the movie. We've got heart.
0: You got heart, kid. That
2: thing in my
3: chest. Yeah, uh,
2: where we pick uh we try to pick something from a movie that we think if you took it out, that movie is completely different. Uh that movie's not the same. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, uh, I think all three of us come up with our sort of our own sort of definitions for what the heart of the movie is. Sometimes it's an important scene. Sometimes it's, uh, the scene that shows the most heart. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a lesser, uh, looked upon scene, uh, Mm -hmm. as uh, you know, that if you took it out. It wouldn't be the same. So, um, who wants to start us off on this topic?
0: Barrett does. All right,
2: Barrett.
1: Uh, just recently rewatched uh, Jerry Maggs, uh, Jerry Maguire. Jerry mm-hmm. Maggs. Uh, <laughs> now, this is if I'm understanding correctly, Jeremy. Like you, you really like this movie, right?
0: Oh yeah, um, I uh, I really like it. I think Almost Famous is better, but if you're oh. talking about the best Cameron Crowe movies, uh, I would say this is up there for sure. Yeah, Chris, do you like this? You like this movie, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I. There was a time I saw this movie. I was, I, I used to watch this movie a lot. Mm. Um, I think I used to have it like on DVD. One of my, I can't remember if I did or not, but I used to watch this pretty decent amount of time. Um, but yeah, I like it.
1: This movie is uh, most famous really for four lines, right? Help me, help you. Show me the money. You complete me, and you had me at hello. Mm-hmm.
3: Right.
1: And shoplifting the pooty from a single mom. Shoplifting right. the pooty. Shoplifting the pooty. I did not shoplift the pooty.
3: What's um, funny? Is the uh,
2: Cameron Crowe was hoping that uh, Quan would be the thing that people got out of that movie. He was. He was trying uh, to make Quan happen, and Quan yeah. didn't
1: happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny because all those uh, all those lines revolve around Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Renee Zellweger. Rightfully so, they are spectacular. All of them, of course. Cuba Gooding Jr. won the Academy Award that year. Um, I don't think Tom Cruise is even nominated, was he? For that, no, uh, that he's part?
2: only been nominated uh, three times, maybe. Yeah, uh, and he's terrific. Born on the Fourth, on the fourth of July, Magnolia, uh, maybe something else in there, uh, maybe a few good Rain things. Man. Rain Man, might no, he may not have been. I, 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 let me look it up real quick, so that we're not look sitting it up. here doing this i don't think he I know was. i think i think he's said, always right? been per- yeah i think he's always been perpetually underrated in rain-, rain man we always you know um think of him as being nominated but i don't think he was um magnolia no jerry Maguire, yeah he has been and born on the 4th of july okay so so he
1: jerry was my i see. well <laughs> jerry mcguire <laughs> mm-hmm. um He's spectacular in this. Renee Zellweger is spectacular in this. Bonnie Hunt, by the way, is spectacular mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm, uh, and keep it good. Mm-hmm. Is spectacular. Um, this, this is a really, really good movie. And if you haven't watched in a while, uh, I would encourage you to go back, but here's the heart of the movie for me. <laughs> Jerry is a big old dickhead. Um, that was a primus song. Jerry was a big old dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, He's a big old dickhead all the way up until the very end of the movie. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> Spoiler. He, he's always mm-hmm. out for himself. Even when he's trying to help Rod Tidwell, Kubi-Kundi Jr.'s uh, uh, character, he's in it for himself. He's in it to, to get his cut of this thing. Uh, he allows or he recruits Renee Zellweger's character uh, to go with him to the Jerry Maguire Paper Company even though he knows that she has uh, a kid and she's a single mom and she's young and he has no way to pay her. He's, he's in it for himself the whole time. And the only thing, the only breadcrumb uh, that, that allows you to really tap into his humanity uh, from the fairly beginning, about the first third of the movie, is his relationship with uh, Dorothy's child, with Renee Zellweger's character's child, played adorably by Jonathan Libnicky. Uh, who's the character Ray. He's the, the kid with the spiky hair. That's all like, he's probably like 49 now mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that, that you all know and love. And what I, what I didn't remember until the last time I, I watched this is how authentic that relationship felt. Uh, Jerry and him get along from the get go. And this is not a dude that likes kids. He's, he's a sports agent. He's slick. He, he fucks everything that moves. He makes money. He makes deals. And like the chemistry between those two, even when he comes over to Dorothy's house and he's hammered, but uh, Ray comes out and sits on the couch with him and tells him about a zoo. And he's like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And that relationship stays, stays consistent the whole time. Everybody remembers he and Dorothy, he and Renee Zellweger getting together and smooching and the completing and the, and the shit like that. Mm-hmm. But man, the best part and the heart of this whole thing is that relationship. I think that is the relationship he with Ray that relationship is the anchor that holds down that entire humanity. I think without that kid and without that relationship, or he could have just shown up and been just a regular kid and, uh, Oh, he's adorable. And goes off. Straight. No, they worked on that relationship. And that is the anchor that allows you to think Jerry's probably a decent dude because nothing else in that movie really points to that. Uh, so mm-hmm. that to me is the heart of the movie. I think I
0: could be completely off. That's no, I think you
2: think that's, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah.
3: Um, Yeah.
0: I don't, this is what I love about the topic. Like Chris said at the outset is we all have sort of variations in how we define, uh, um, the heart of the movie. And I think even within our own choices, we sometimes slide a little bit along the scale about what qualities we're looking for. And I think that's, you're right. Like if you want, if you want to give me any foreshadowing that he's going to end up a decent guy, it's going to be in these scenes um and there's you're right their chemistry is crazy crazy good even in the car when they're just throwing out you know trivia back and forth at the human
1: other. head weighs eight and a half pounds
0: and he's like oh yeah well
1: pete rose got this many hits and he's not in the hall of fame not in the
0: hall of fame
1: <laughs> but he's but he's not antagonistic about it like they're having an actual conversation yeah and yeah. that is the key man that's the little lock the little lock to his heart right
0: there mm-hmm. yeah yep Good call, good call. I, uh, I'm going back, I'm going back to my youth. My youth. I'm going to do You're the out. hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> yeah. Um, probably heard me talk about this movie before or us. I know it's one of Chris's favorites as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be definitely in my top ten of all time, uh, both in my favorites and in how many times I've seen it. Um, it's literally. One of those, if I'm scrolling on the guide and I see it, I click and watch, even if only for the next big scene or what have you. So many great action scenes, so many great performances, so many great fucking camera angles. Somehow underwater submarine action uh, looks suspenseful and re- you know looks real. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot to like about this movie. Um, you know, the basic premise, if you've never watched it, um which i'm sure plenty of you have not um is that there's a russian sub that's gone missing and the russians are telling america um we're gonna we're gonna go out and and sink it so the americans are like oh fuck it's gonna come over and bomb us and this is in the cold war in the 80s no, It's actually the 90s but...
1: way back when russia and america were enemies mm-hmm. that's
0: well correct. yes it's a long um, time ago way back when we legitimately lived in fear of nuclear weapons being yeah. used, which yeah. I think might be coming back into fashion, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but there's one man, one man, I tell you, Jack Ryan, brainy book writer for the CIA, who has a theory that that sub's commander might be trying to defect.
3: Mm-hmm. Sub
0: commander is Sean Connery. And the rest of the adventure is, you know, he's he's given a certain amount of time and one chance to try and go make contact, find this fucking submarine, and then make contact, find out if it's a defection. Um, otherwise, the U.S. is going to help the Russians blow it out of the water. And there's a scene in the middle of this movie before Jack Ryan has gotten there, out onto the sub. But the Russians, one of the Russians, have found, via a sonar buoy, have found the Red October. And Red October is about to go into this deep, Underwater trench formation, uh, the Americans call Red Route 1, which is this hyper-detailed mapped area of trenches that allows the Russians to get from one portion of the uh, northern Atlantic to another portion, and the Americans can't go there, and it's hard for even most Russian subs to do this.
2: Is that the? Uh, is it the Laurentian Abyssal or whatever? That uh... no,
0: that's the place they go at the end. This is the Thor's Twins. Is the start of the right, Red right, right? Run. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, basically, everyone's nervous. Um, <clears throat> they don't think it's a drill anymore. At least they're not sure, and they're going about their business to do this super, super narrow run through the trenches. And the guy keeping time says, basically, okay, it's time to turn. And Sean Connery says, no, just wait. And there's a missile behind him. And the <laughs> dude's like, we got to turn dog. And Sean Connery's is like, you're relieved. And Basically, <laughs> gets really short with the guy. And finally, when everyone is panicking, but quietly, he says, turn now and gives the, gives the instruction and everybody panics and they turn the fucking submarine and the missile ends up hitting the rocks that they barely turned and missed because he waited to make that turn and it dragged the missile with them. And there, this is the heart of the movie. This is, this is where he demonstrates he knows more than you. Do not take this man for granted. Um, whatever they throw at him, he's got something he can throw back. And he demonstrates this a few more times later at the end of the movie, he makes a maneuver that everyone on board thinks is suicide. Uh, and it ends up being genius. Uh, and that's foreshadowed and underscored by this, this run through red route one uh, where he just by feel, just by feel knows when to turn submarine Um gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. There are a lot of great scenes. There are a lot of great moments, but this movie is, I think about him more than it is about Jack Ryan, even though I think Jack Ryan has a little more screen time. Um, Jack Ryan is sort of the stand in for us really. Um, And it's Sean Connery, who I think has a deeper character. They're both great performances. Don't take me wrong, Um, but we're rooting for him. We're not rooting for, Alec Baldwin's character to be right. We're rooting for the Russian guy to live and defect and get away from the Soviet regime. Uh, It's one of my very very favorite movies ever. And I think that's the heart of it.
2: Nice. The, uh, the other thing that that scene accomplishes, I believe they refer to this later is not only does he know more, but it also puts doubt, even, even though the, uh, the, the maneuver is successful and it's amazing it puts doubt in the crewman as to his sanity Um, is one of the, is one of the, it's, he's got a double edged kind of sword going on with that scene because, um, because he seems like the crazy captain who's ready to just do whatever there, whatever the Russians are saying that he's planning on doing because he's unhinged uh, and everything. Um, I will say this. Um, I, I, I completely agree with you that, uh, this movie is more about him than it is Jack Ryan, but we are definitely rooting for Jack Ryan to be right because well, okay. there, yeah. there, there are, there are, if he's, if he's not, and he doesn't do the things that he does, then the red October is getting shot down and, and But uh,
0: his being right is achieved two thirds of the way through the movie. And from then on, we're really rooting for I mean, all of them, obviously. And of course he gets his adventure in the missile room and we're definitely mm-hmm. rooting for him there. Yeah. Um I yeah, I don't think I phrased that very well. Uh I just think um he's the step he's the stepping stone to the to the true ultimate conclusion we want to see happen but you're right Mm -hmm. that can't happen if he doesn't if he doesn't get out there and make contact with the boat and all that shit god this movie this is
2: one of those great movies where the protagonist is right but you but you understand why everybody is resistant to what he's saying because if you were in those positions you wouldn't take that seriously either because that is an out out of nowhere thing uh uh and you know movies have a you know movies have this tendency to make it seem like those people out there, like the Scott Glens in this movie, the, you know, these people are, are antagonists, but they're not, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do in this situation. Um, and, and you can't fault them for it. That's another thing that's great about that movie. Um, McTiernan, <laughs> McTiernan was on a different level back in this, this day and age. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a top-notch action movie. And if you, under, if you, you want to know why Sins get so upset about the action movies we see today, watch <laughs> fucking Hunt for an October and tell me that that's not better than every fucking thing that you've seen in the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about big-budget studio movies here. Um, I, uh, I was wondering what the heart of Hoosiers was. Because Hoosiers um, is all heart, right? Hoosiers mm-hmm. is a heart movie um uh there are a lot of there are a lot of scenes that i considered like jimmy chitwood coming in and saying you know i'll play only if the coach stays and you know Mm. if he's gone i'm not playing that's a big one that's a big that's a big part i don't think it's the heart of the movie though um there's a there's a moment where uh you know gene hackman comes in with the team they're about to play the championship they're in the the hoosier dome and there's, there's the basketball court and he does the measurements mm-hmm. and, and he shows them that this is the exact same height as the, as the, as the, uh, the goals at Hickory that they, they play. That's a great scene. I considered that not the heart of the movie for me. Um, the heart of the movie for me is when Gene Hackman benches a player who doesn't pass, <laughs> uh, in the movie. He does, he benches this player because he's told him you need to pass. He wants to have the three pass thing. This guy keeps on going up to the three point line. I don't even know if it's a three point line back then. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, at least he's at the arc and he just, he just pulls up and shoots a lot. Finally, he just pulls the dude out and they only have six, six players on this team at this point. Uh, so they have, <laughs> they have the five players and this guy who's been benched and somebody fouls out on uh on the team. So that leaves him with four. And of course, dude who's been benched starts taking his jacket off and is about to go back out on the court. And Gene Ackman tells him to stay there on the chair. He's not going anywhere. And the ref comes over and says, coach need another player. And he goes, my team is on the floor. Yeah. And, uh,
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: and, uh, and, uh, and, and the ref's like, well, okay. And goes <laughs> back on. So he's just going to play with four players because he believes in this so much. And then all the people from Hickory are like just booing him (laughs) and like, what the fuck is this bullshit and, and everything. And, and they love, this little motion that Hackman does, he's got his like little playbook notebook thing. And he just like waves it in the air a little bit. Just like, I'm, I'm sticking to this. God damn it. Basically is what he's, what he's saying, you know? And he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I know I hear it. I hear you. But I'm not going to let this fucker play because I told him to pass. That is the heart of Hoosiers to me. It tells you everything you need to know about that movie, uh, about what what the what uh, Norman Dale's uh, you know philosophy is about the team and how he gets that team reined in and everything. He's like, I don't give a fuck if I lose this game. I don't care if I look stupid doing it. Fucking pass, asshole.
1: <laughs> what he had written in the, on the whiteboard in the
2: locker room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good one. I like that pick.
3: Uh,
1: I like that pick. <laughs> I do, too. I went back and uh, watched an uh, underrated comedy, Jim, uh, I Love You, Man, recently.
3: Oh,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Fish Paul Tacos, baby. Jason mm-hmm. Siegel.
1: Mm-hmm um i've always had a bit of an issue with i love you man because i i really do like it i really do um and i i, I think it's hilarious it's got some huge belly laughs john favreau's character jamie Press's character in there john favreau's
2: such a dick it's so great yeah.
1: at one point he leans over to jamie Presser, He's like i don't think she sucks his dick it's so good uh jk simmons is great in that like jane Curtin. Everybody's good. Uh, and actually, Rashida Jones is great in this, too, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that there was a bit of artifice to uh, Jason Segel's performance. Like, he's a little too chill, especially at the end. But mm-hmm. what happens when... So, Paul Rudd, the, the conceit is Paul Rudd's character, um, is a ladies' man in the sense that he doesn't have any male friends. Right? And so, uh, they they set him up to go on dates. Andy Sandberg uh, plays his gay brother, um, who recruits, uh, straight dudes to, to go hang out with him. And so he goes through the series and everything. And Paul Rudd is trying to sell a house. He's a real estate agent. And when he goes to the first open house, uh, for this big house that he has to sell, Jason Siegel's there. And this is after he's gone through this montage of bro dates basically. Right. And he's acting all weird and Paul Ruddy and, like, nerdy and nervous and stuff. And as soon as he starts talking to Jason Segel, Jason Segel's like, here's what's going to happen. This dude's not going to buy your house. Uh, he's, he's trying to impress, impress this, this lady he's with. He's holding in a fart right now. And, uh, <laughs> and he, They do a close-up on the butt cheeks, and he's all clenched and everything. And Paul Rudd is just fascinated with this. He's like, yeah, he is clenching. And then all of a sudden, like, he sends her off, and, and the girl goes that way. And then, like, once she goes off, he releases. <laughs> Jason Siegel's like, boom, fart, motherfucker.
3: <laughs> He's like he fart, did. He
1: totally farted right there. He's crying. He's out there crop dusting your open house. But, like, that's <laughs> one of the only times where I think this, this whole thing is Paul Rudd, his character is completely you know, free of the nervousness and the ticks. It's just a very real moment that sets the stage for their relationship going forward. It shows that Jason Siegel is is smarter than your average bear, and he's invested in, in you know, kind of like sharing his story with Paul Rudd. And it shows that Paul Rudd is just like, all right, I can let my guard down a little bit, and we can have fun at this absurd thing that's happening here. And it doesn't hold up all the way through, but man that's a fart motherfucker is like my favorite part that's,
3: <laughs> that is maybe the weirdest
1: part of the movie that I've ever done. But that is the key to that relationship. I think is them sharing a laugh over something completely absurd. Uh, and, and nobody having any kind of, uh, you know, weird, uh, neologisms that they come up with or like fucking nicknames like
2: Jobin. <laughs> well, yeah, it also shows that, uh, you know that you can't just set up uh, dates or whatever, or or try to try to like make a friendship happen. Yeah, like these things happen because of of innocuous things like that. Um, a lot of times, I think yeah, that's- a genuine connection as 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 vulgarian as this heart of the movie is it is uh it is exactly i think you're exactly right about this because uh because that's you know like i said you just the 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 whole idea of any kind of blind date type of thing working out is is minuscule um and uh and uh so uh, to to have it happen here it, uh it, it organically it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it it uh it's uh definitely i, I like that a lot
0: That moves on it's awesome it's not perfect but it's funny mm-hmm. um i'm going to talk a little bit more <clears throat> again about the talented mr
1: ripley uh, what <clears throat> no hunt for red october and the talented mr
3: ripley <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I went to
0: my sweet spot for this this epi- this episode of Heart of the Movie. Um, <clears throat> I love this movie i I love the talent of Mr. Ripley, and i want mm. uh, I almost went with a, a pair of bookended hearts uh, that I want to talk about before I get into what I ultimately chose. There are two moments where Tom Ripley essentially ascends to street level from a basement of a building in a form of rebirth. In the, the first one, it's in the beginning of the movie. He's been hired by the dad, and the dad's limo comes to pick him up. And it shows you how shitty his apartment is. A couple arguing, the walls are shaking, the lights are always coming and going. So we get a shot of him with suitcases coming up the stairs from this basement shitty apartment, And the dialogue in that limo scene is all about how he's a new man now. The dude's like, hey, the Greenleaf name was going to open a lot of doors for you. That thousand bucks is going to come in pretty handy, isn't it? Um, (laughs) And he's a new man now, right? He was a nobody before, and now he's a somebody. Near the end of the movie, after he's killed Dickie and Freddy and been interrogated by the cops, and it's pretty obvious the cops think he did it, they come for him. And it shows him escaping just in time. He actually hides and turns off the light and you see the red and blue lights outside and he kind of watches for a bit and then he sneaks up the stairs into this alley and is born anew as he goes to a different part of Italy uh, to live as Dickie Greenlee for a while. Um, I didn't
1: even realize that.
0: I think, well, it took me watching it probably 30 times to even spot that, <laughs> which is why I'm not the guy that makes movies, right? Like when, mm-hmm. when Dicer was talking about bad times at El Royale to me and all the symbolism. I was like, shit, dude, I just thought it was a stylish thriller. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would never like, I don't pick that kind of stuff out. But the heart of this movie, I think, is after he's killed Dickie in the boat and swum to shore, sunk the boat. He goes back to the hotel, still wet, all in a huff, in a tizzy. He's just committed murder. And the guy thinks he's Dickie. Because he's going to ask for his key. And the guy behind the desk says, your oh, Monsieur Greenleaf, or whatever. It's no Monsieur's French. Anyway. Um, and he pauses. And he's like, Yeah, I'm him. <laughs> and it's the moment he realizes, and we realize he's now both people, um, given the circumstance. And it's where he realizes he can get away. Early in the movie, he flirts with passing himself off as Dickie when he meets Meredith, uh, when he's first coming into Italy. Um, And he's dabbled there. And this is where he realizes, I can do this for real now. There is no more Dickie. As long as I avoid the three or four people who know exactly what he looks like, um, I can pass myself off as him. And he spends the rest of the movie alternately doing that juggling those two realities those p- two personalities um <clears throat> that's really what the movie is about is him embracing this darker side mm-hmm. of he's always been a liar but now he's a murdering liar and it's mm-hmm. a whole other thing
1: has he always been a liar like is he inherently in a a bad i think so absolutely think
0: <laughs> Well, he's first of all, he's borrowing this jacket to even play this gig as a favor to somebody who can't play the gig. So he's all, he starts the movie presenting himself to everyone, us and the characters, as someone he's not. Mm. And then as soon as the song is over, uh, Mr. Greenleaf says, you went to Princeton. You must know my son, Dickie. And he lies. He says, how is Dickie? Uh, um, yeah. And that's it. We never know Tom Ripley in this movie as anything but a liar because he then studies all about jazz and goes to Italy and lies to Dickie about why he's there and then uses the truth to his own advantage by saying, your dad sent me here. Um, let's spend his money um, to further yeah. his lie. He's about to leave and he drops the records. So Dickie will see the records and they can bond over jazz so he can extend his stay. He's the liar through and through, but it's this moment that he realizes I can do this forever. interesting Interesting.
2: yeah i mean uh this is a you know it's based on that uh series of uh novels that patricia highsmith wrote and i believe the Talented mr ripley was the first one um i i don't think that that necessarily means that uh this is the first time he's ever attempted a lie like this it's just the first time we're being introduced to his character um and uh I I don't think you can you can lie with that kind of skill without having done it before. Um, So I'm going to guess that if you were to give some backstory and I've never read the books uh, on these things and the movie itself doesn't doesn't delve uh, deeply into his past or anything. But I'm going to assume that he's been doing stuff like this since he was, you know, eight years old or whatever. He's like Mm -hmm. he's like uh, Frank Abagnale and catch me if you can. Yeah, um, yeah 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 He's just he's sort of learned how to do this type of stuff and now that he's 20 21 22 whatever he's he's become really frighteningly good at it um is what i'm is what i would give his backstory if i if i you know someone asked
1: that movie's that movie's sultry i would mm-hmm. call that movie sultry. sultry it has a lot, of, it's a lot steam. Of sexy a lot of sexiness
0: in that movie it has mm-hmm. its steam for sure and it goes in all directions Uh, It flies around amongst amongst everyone. That's what I like about the movie is that I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to keep talking about this movie for a minute is that he's not, he's not all wrong in that final argument with Dickie when he ends up killing him because that scene where they play chess, when Dickie's in the tub is sultry. It's sexy. There's like heat there and he brings it up. He's like, you can't be honest with yourself. Like that night when we played chess, I know there was something there. And Dickie just keeps saying, boring, boring. boring. <laughs> boring. Dicky is honestly uh, as big an asshole. If not, yes, more. He, is. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't kill people, but he's abhorrent. Um, but you, there's the movie gives you just enough reason to root for him. That it allows him to remain the protagonist, even if he's the, the bad guy. Ultimately.
2: Yeah. Um, We'll dial it back a year and uh, go on the Truman show. Mm. Mm. Like what is the heart of the Truman show? There's plenty of places left shoulder. That's right. You could, uh, you know, what, what what would you pick in that? There's a lot of scenes in the Truman show that you could possibly say are the heart, but I settled on the moment that he's in his car in the driveway and Merrill, his wife played by Laura Lenny comes in and asks him what he's doing. And he goes, I predict in the next few seconds yeah. <laughs> you know he, t- he predicts the order of the car and i think the bike there's a bi- a guy on a bicycle and then a dented beetle <laughs> is the the last thing and uh and so he predicts this and and it doesn't go exactly to plan because because it doesn't go exactly at the time that he wanted it to but all the cars that came through that he said would come through do- they do And Meryl, of course, ever the actress who's been doing this for years and years and years, doesn't, you know, tries to pretend like that's not a big deal at all. And, uh, um, (laughs) it leads to, it leads to him driving her around the, the, the city and, um, And, uh, they, and he's like, he's like, all right, I'm, we're going to go, we're going to leave this place or whatever. And he, she's, she's doing her usual thing. Like, we're totally not going to go somewhere else (laughs) and everything. And then, uh, as this, as we find out that Kristoff is doing throughout this movie, you know, he is putting uh, blockers in front of him throughout this entire thing to make sure that he doesn't leave the city. So there's like a, suddenly a bunch of cars come in front of him in traffic and, and, uh, he turns around, he drives, he drives around, he comes back to the same road and he's like, and there's no cars there. He's like, look, same road, no cars. It's (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and so he drives, and he goes he starts going towards where you're getting out of the city limits and everything, and then there's that bogus government thing uh that's going on where everybody like everybody's in hazmat suits and everything, and like there's the uh, you know it's, it's a chemical plant or something on fire, or some yeah. crap that they made up and uh the the uh, it's like an officer comes up to him and says, "Oh yeah man we're going to have to block the block the road nobody's going to be able to get through here for blah 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 blah." And uh, he goes, thank you officer. And the officer goes, officer goes, no problem, Truman. And walks off. <laughs> and, and Truman goes, "Truman." Right? <laughs> then there's that great Philip glass score that oh, comes in so right. After I got him goosebumps at- right now. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and he, he, he starts running and like the hazmat suit guys all surround him. It's like a fucking nightmare ET scene or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and, uh, it, to me, this is the part where Truman has officially decided there's definitely something fucked up going on here that, and, and it all concerns me, and I don't know what it is. It's the paranoia that I think a lot of people feel sometimes. Uh, that's what's so great about the Truman Show is that even though none of us are on a 24-hour you know reality show, at least I don't think.
3: Right, um, yeah.
2: Uh, you know, I think a lot of people do think that because you, you sit there and go, why did that happen? Why does this always happen to me? Why does this thing happen? Why does this and that, uh, but he has found it out because there's, there's some things that just don't make sense in his life and, uh, th- that he's going out there and challenging those things and realizing that a lot of this doesn't make any sense to me. That's the heart of the movie. It's a long heart of the movie. It's probably lasts uh, five to 10 minutes. What I'm just, what I've just described. Uh, but uh that's one of my favorite scenes in that
0: movie. Is everybody except Truman and Pretty Eyes a villain in this movie?
2: Um like yeah, I feel like it's, the it's actors
0: compatible. I feel like the actors are just as culpable as Christoph. Like uh, the woman that plays his wife is just as culpable as Christoph at she knows he's captive. She knows he's not getting to live a real life.
2: There's a, right? um, there was a, uh, I think I read, I think it was Noah Emmerich who plays his buddy, uh, yeah. in that movie, uh, said something, somebody asked him about his character in that movie a few years after it came out. And he said that, um, a lot of people think that he's a huge villain in that movie, but think about he's had to be this, he was a child actor, told to befriend truman early on in his in his life and mm-hmm. he's had to keep this uh keep up this subterfuge for years and years and years and probably even cares about truman but can't ever tell him about this secret because that's the rule that he's going through i don't know about the Lena character because they introduce her i think when he's in high school so there's not nearly the same amount of uh uh, foundation of uh you know years and everything that, that that they have but uh but the noah Emmerich character um has been with him for his nearly his entire life so there is an argument to be said that even his character is kind of a victim uh, mm, but he does choose he does indeed choose not to ever reveal the secret that's that's sort of a uh, you know that's sort of a you know you can call that a conflicted villain if you want um uh, i mean i'd go so trip.
0: far in my moral view to call all the people watching the show just as culpable as christoph and the actors on the show because for sure driving it uh, yeah but that, uh, that is that is there's varying degrees of culpability there i think because that does you know you, you forget about that that he was a child actor who probably didn't have any agency anyway um and it is different than some of the like the guy that plays his boss at the insurance company or whatever who just is knowingly taking advantage of this captive dude
2: yeah yeah i i i think for sure a lot of these people are a lot of these people are you know I, i have a job acting i don't want to ruin that uh all that now the people on the outside there are a lot of people on the outside who want to tell him but they're in this dome yeah. And and some of the people who have gotten inside get immediately arrested and and sent out uh, <laughs> and and you know you have the guy jumping out of the the, the Christmas gift you have Natasha <laughs> Mac- Natasha I'm on
3: TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's on the <laughs> Show
2: um, <laughs> you have the Natasha Magalhoney character who you know of course wants to tell him but you know is having a hard time like she's trying to stay within the rules but. There's an actual real chemistry there where, you know, she finally is like wants to get him on the beach and tell him that he's on a TV show before, before he leaves. And then there's and the guy playing his dad wants to, wants to, wants to tell him that, you know, all of this is, is going on. So, uh, or wh- was that, yeah. Was that what happened? That was the he dad, did.
1: Right? Uh, for the, when he got kicked off the show and then they, they yeah. brought him
2: back. To- so, to- so there to- were several people who have tried, but the, it's hard. It's hard for the people on the outside to actually help him. So a lot of people, I think, this is a this is a, a you know a, I, I guess a good uh, discussion to have. Um, you know, a lot of people ha are, feel helpless to be able. You know, they don't they don't have any way of helping him. So why don't we just be entertained at the you know while we're at it? You know, see what happens. They're just kind of like oh, I can't do anything about this. I mean, they could choose not to watch, sure, uh, but you know. I, I, you know it, it became such a big part of everybody's lives and everything that's what's kind of funny about the ending of that movie is all the people who we've been following watching it the
0: the, the, the security guards was like well what
2: else is on all right well, on. <laughs>
0: yeah. you know i wish we got this and ed tv in the same season um two different takes on a similar concept one straight mm-hmm. comedy and one more dramatic and i always felt like there was a third missing that veered hard into that paranoia thriller horror element of what it might be like to slowly realize you're not actually paranoid. Everyone here is against you. I think that yeah. could be a whole different, not that I want to see a Truman show remake or anything. I'm just saying there are no, such right. a fascinating concept and there's so many mm-hmm. different ways to tackle it.
1: The, I yeah. mean, this is invasion of the body snatchers and the invisible man uh, from yeah. a couple of years ago. Right. There is no possible way. This is totally self-serving, particularly an invisible man. This is totally your trauma talking. There are a million explanations for what she (laughs) is going through. Nobody should believe her, right? Yeah. That's that's why it's so just makes you clench your butt cheeks all the way through. Because it's like, I understand why everybody's doubting you. What? possible fucking explanation would you have for this mm-hmm. uh, oh, it's just oh oh i love that movie. i watched it again last yeah summer, a couple nights ago yeah it's good
2: uh all right everybody it's time to talk about better help yes it is you people
1: go on and sign up you having problems are you dealing with anger stress anxiety sadness depression um addiction uh problems with being able to communicate Better help is a great option, especially even though we're, we're on what seems like the far side of this whole pandemic thing, uh, which was hard on virtually everyone. Um, I keep hearing stories about how just now the stress of the pandemic has really finally hit home to a lot of people who had just basically been kind of going through the motions, keeping their head down and doing their thing. Just now, now that we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, people are like, oh, my God. And the stress is really wearing them down. BetterHelp is an online uh, counseling site uh, where you answer a few questions, you log in, and you get matched to a licensed professional counselor. And you're on your way at that point. They communicate with you in your counseling room. Uh, you have the schedule up there. They can send you uh, uh, information about what you guys are talking about, even within a session that I was in, my my counselor sent me uh, some stuff that she said, if you got time, go ahead and, and look through this. And it's something like that that BetterHelp has, where you don't have to leave your own home, uh, you don't have to deal with several different people to even get to your counselor. Uh, it is, you know, as they say, one stop shopping but just for something that is incredibly important to you, your mental health.
0: I think that um, I want to speak today to kindred spirits. My my biggest, I have some depression issues, but my biggest mental health issue is anxiety, uh, which uh, went unnoticed and undiagnosed by me and my wife for years, just because a lot of times the symptoms don't, on the surface, seem to suggest a mental health thing, but I wanted to, this Mm. is from BetterHelp's own website, by the way, their website has a bunch of useful information too, when you're not scheduling your next session. Uh, But here are some signs of anxiety. And I want to speak to people who usually breeze through these ads without paying that much attention because you may not realize you're dealing with anxiety. Um, So these are the most common excessive worrying, Difficulty sleeping, restlessness, fatigue, issues concentrating, irritability and tension, increased heart rate and palpitations. That was me. Hello. Uh, Sweating, hot flashes, trembling or shaking, chest pains, shortness of breath, feelings of terror or impending doom. You don't have to have all of those. And not having one of those does not necessarily mean you have an anxiety disorder. Very Um, important. Yeah, yeah. But I think there are millions, not, necessarily listening to this show. I'm sure there are millions listening to this show, but I think there are millions of people out there who have undiagnosed, unrealized anxiety disorders. And BetterHelp is a great place for you uh, to get treatment for that.
1: Yep. From your own home, tablet, phone, laptop, desktop, Commodore 64, whatever you got, yep. you can connect with BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com. Get 10% off your first month and if you're having issues uh, with payment, uh, let them know. And they have people that actually help you with that. It's it's amazing. Uh, I've used it for well over a year now, and I cannot recommend this enough. Go to betterhelp.com slash SYNCAST. Do it now. Um, do you want to go into questions or do you want to do recommends and warns? It, it's, Let's do recommends
2: and warns. A balls. they It won I, the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Okay. Uh I got recommended a movie uh called Capricorn One. Oh uh, Peter Hyams directed this a time cop theme. Uh no, the <laughs> uh the movie came out in I believe nineteen seventy eight, although you'll see 77 on the IMDB, but um I believe the official release dates were in nineteen seventy eight um this is about a mission to mars that gets scrapped but there are powers that be that want everybody to be fooled that uh the mission is going to happen uh so that they will continue getting funding uh Hmm. the astronauts are played by james brolin sam waterston and oj simpson oh uh, wow <laughs> All right. All right. you know you know you're in a different era when oj simpson is one of your main your main actors <laughs> um uh Hal holbrook is the guy who wants to make sure that this mission seems like it's being uh that it's actually being run um and uh so they shoot the rocket up uh, NASA does. I think assuming that the astronauts are still in there, I don't know how, how, Bro- how made it so that they still read the three astronauts in the ship. I don't know how all of that is there. He's definitely still fooling people at NASA as well Ooh. during this. Um, uh, the, he, he brings them into a room and tells them, uh, you know, a company that made this life preserving, uh, uh, thing for your ship. Uh did it cheaply, and that 's why we were able to buy so many of them and they they got rich doing it. but we found out just before this launch, like you know maybe months before or whatever, that you would have died if we had let you have those suits on while being on mars um, uh and we don't want the bad publicity from a bad launch, obviously, and we don 't want we didn't want to send you out there. And then you die, of course, and then we lose money over it. Basically, what it comes down you know, comes down to. He takes them to a bunker of some sort, an old military base where they have set up a whole backdrop where it looks like the mar, like the uh, surface of Mars, and everything, um, and um, and so that they can do these reports where they're coming down from their ship and, 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 you know, and, uh, walking on Mars and everything. And so they can show that on TV. Um, and so this, uh, this, this is like the first, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of the movie. The, the whole thing is, uh, um, is, uh, they've, they've made this seem like a launch. Everybody in the world believes it. Uh, and then on the way back, They've decided because of some rumblings they've heard from James Brolin, Brolin is like, I don't, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to tell my family that we did this and we didn't do this. Um, and they, they hear some of these rumblings, some of these people who are the shadowy figures behind this, hear this. And they're like, we're probably going to have to kill these people anyway.
3: (laughs) Mm. So,
2: so, um, on the re-entry, the there they make up a whole thing about the heat shield being defective and uh and that the you know that the ship disintegrated when it came back into the earth and everything so that leaves them um try they need to escape they need to find a way to get out they need to like as soon as they're like as soon as somebody from the city finds us sees us they'll know that this was total bullshit and everything but that's not as easy as it sounds. They take a ship, they fly off to someplace in the desert. They separate all three of them separate and go their different ways, trying to find a place where eventually they'll be found. And of course the government is hot on their heels. Uh, Helicopters are flying around trying to find them in the desert and everything. Um, Capricorn one is really good. I will say this about the movie. Uh, It became, it became one of the, uh hallmarks of people who believe in the moon landing being faked um uh it was i don't know if it was it was i don't think it was the reason but it was a movie that came out where people started realizing hey they could have faked the moon landing (laughs) and 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 it started to seed in people's heads about how this type of thing would happen everything so there is there is a negative aspect to this movie uh uh, uh some other people that are in this elliot gold is in this plays a reporter nice. uh nice. elliot gold is 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 uh elliot gold in the 70s is fucking amazing man yeah like, I, I mean everything him. that he yeah totally uh he is just great in the in the like he's always great but in the 70s in particular there's something captured with him that's a that you can see why he was in so many things back in the '70s. Um, uh, but he's he's great in this. Um, and uh, uh, Hal Holbrook is 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 of course always great. But uh, uh, yeah. Um, Capricorn One. That's a it's a good movie, man.
1: Go one. It's one of my favorite little things in sneakers. Is Dan Aykroyd just dropping? baseless conspiracy theories. Like he's like, <laughs> same people that fake the moon landing.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. This is, this is, It's how they yeah. frame Pete Rose. <laughs> <laughs>
1: my Rose I know Sidney Poitier is sick of bullshit, but like, River Phoenix is kind of like his compatriot, right? He's just kind of like, he kind of goes along with it. He's like,
0: oh, alright. Your husband knows yes. the CIA's been suppressing cow mutilations for years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love his character he's sneaky had like an amazing weird acting career too you know uh, <laughs> love me some Danny that's the thing Danny. about right. uh, that's Go the ahead. thing about
2: capricorn one by the way that it fits into the paranoia thrillers of the uh the 70s it, it's it goes right along all those three days of the condor uh type movies uh, it's just it's just that there's a more space uh space element to it and everything. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you could better believe there's a lot of scenes in there where people are getting arrested for no reason and, you know, threatened and everything to keep the secret, you know. But
0: anyway, yeah. go ahead. Oh, interesting. Uh I'm gonna go on a positive note. I'm gonna start on a positive note. Back 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 a while ago on this show, three, four years ago, I was talking about the rookie and was encouraging Chris to watch the rookie. And I think at some mm-hmm. point around that time I tweeted about the rookie. Mm -hmm. It's a baseball movie with Dennis Quaid. Mm -hmm. Um, And around that time, Aaron Dicer, our friend and compatriot, said, hey, Million Dollar Arm is also really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I watched it and I really liked it and promptly forgot about it. Flash forward to about two weeks ago, I caught it again um, and I loved it. And I liked it so much that I talked my wife into watching it. A baseball movie. Um, <laughs> and she loved it, uh, because ultimately this movie is not, it's not as much about baseball as it seems on the surface. It's much more about culture and how to learn to care about somebody from a different culture. Have you guys seen this movie?
2: No, but you not. had,
0: you,
2: you talked about this actually, for some reason, uh, in a recent podcast, um, you mentioned and, the,
1: uh, the recap at the end of the real people,
0: uh, right? That's uh, right. Doing, that's doing right. Stuff. Yeah. I was talking yeah. about the, the chess movie and yeah. Um, so this is based on a true story. John Hamm plays this guy whose sports agency is struggling. Um, like Jerry Maguire, he and his partner, um, are, are trying to land one big client, um, to keep their agency alive. Cause they don't have any clients um and the guy plays them and goes with another agency and they're like screwed and so John Ham is flipping channels and he sees some cricket Indian cricket being played and then he sees uh Susan Boyle on uh British people can sing good um <laughs> and um and he keeps flipping back and forth and he gets this idea to do a big publicized re- million dollar reality competition to find cricket players that he can turn into major league baseball pitchers. Um, So the first part of the movie is him having culture shock going over to India and experiencing a variety of things that are different about life in India as he tries to find uh, somebody who can throw a baseball hard enough. um, And he feels like he can teach the technique after that. He's got... (laughs) Um Alan Arkin is here. Um mm. almost playing the same character he played in Tone from um uh, Argo. And uh he's there because he's uh, uh what is he? Some kind of old baseball scout um mm. who's come out of retirement because nobody else is willing to do it. Can he hear um, a curveball? Well, <laughs> no, but he can hear the juice. Nice. Um, nice. he actually can, his character can tell how fast the ball was pitched by hearing, um, how the sound of the ball going into the mitt, um, and just deal with that, accept that, don't let that you know, derail <laughs> the movie for you. Deal with that. Um, and of course, everyone is terrible, nobody knows how to throw a baseball. Um. He has a super fan who's heard about the competition and offers his services because he wants to be a baseball player and he wants to learn about baseball. Um and eventually, through much turmoil, they after traveling all through the country, they do find two kids um, who can throw in like the low to mid eighties um, with moderate accuracy. And then it becomes the reverse culture shock movie as he brings these kids to the U S uh, for months. Cause he's the whole idea is trying to do it in a year. Uh, and that eventually gets pushed up to trying to do it in six months, um, <clears throat> which is absurd. Uh, Bill Paxton is in this movie as uh, a pretty straightforward kind of crusty pitching coach uh, who has some pretty good lines Um and then uh, Lake Bell, do you know who that is? Yeah, I um, She is the tenant at John Ham's house. So she lives in the mini house behind the house. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically, the rest of it, I don't really want to spoil what happens. It is based on a true story, so you can look it up. Um, but it's not as much about baseball as that makes it sound. It uh, is much more about how selfish the John Ham character is this whole time uh, because he's really only in it because if he succeeds, this saves his agency and he gets a longer contract with the guy that's paying him to to do it. Um, And it it takes him a while to realize the important thing is to care about the people he's brought over here, taken away from their homes and their families. Um, And uh, it got me at the end when I watched it with my wife, this was my third time watching it and I'm watching it with my wife and it gets to the end, they get the big tryout they've already had one mess up and it's time for John Hamm to go give him a talking to like a, a pep talk. And he sends out the kid that volunteered his services, who wants to be a baseball player or a coach one day, the fellow Indian guy and says, you go out there and you pep talk him." And the guy gives this pep, t- I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Cause he <laughs> basically talks about, I'm, I'm realizing I'm never going to be a baseball player. Uh, <laughs> I might get to coach one day, but I'm too small. I don't have the talent. And then he gets choked up saying, I'm living my dream through you right now. And it's this great. Ah, oh, it's great. It's great. Uh, <laughs> it's not a baseball movie. My wife adored it. And she could give a rat's ass about baseball. Um, uh-huh. It's it's just baseball as a backdrop for, uh, you know, a really human story about uh, overcoming cultural differences to make new friends. And uh, I give it two thumbs up. mm um, uh-huh i adored it there you go that's my official yeah, recommendation you
2: need, to, need to watch this uh you said ever since you brought this up uh however many weeks ago it was um you know i mean uh I, I did the same with the rookie however long ago that was that you brought that up and watched it loved the rookie so i'm sure this is good too so i think you guys would
0: both are. like it yeah, and it's it's, it's, it's a that. disney movie it's totally you know safe for the family and all that jazz. You're not going to find any um, nudity, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. any f
2: bombs. Mm-hmm. Okay. F bombs well, during. This, the it's nudity. a little bit lower on the queue now, but I watch
1: it. I right. have <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a wreck of uh that you could see coming a mile away, and it's not based on a true story. It's called Mortal kombat
3: Mortal Combat.
1: oh geez okay so this came out last week as we record this uh hbo max was going to be theatrical to warner brothers release one of those millions that they keep shoving over to the streaming services did come out in theaters too i actually would have loved to have seen this on a big screen uh, with a full audience this would be that kind of movie all right Mm -hmm. movie blows okay this movie mm. is stupid this movie mm. is just absolutely fucking trash i fucking mm. loved it i loved it <laughs> uh we all grew up in the era now i don't know if you guys were able to because of parental restrictions were you guys able to play mortal combat they had the standees the at the, arcade. Of the
2: first mortal combat yeah i played the shit out of it and watched the movie and I wasn't like a big, huge, like, you know, had posters all around my, my room or anything like that, but I played the arcade game quite a bit and, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah, so
1: God. It, yeah. it was addictively fun. This is one of the first, I mean, street fighter was the first and then street fighter two came out, I think around the time mortal Kombat came out. Uh, but mortal Kombat always had the reputation of being much more violent and mm-hmm. it was glorious especially to 90s kids like us man mm-hmm. you'd be pulling people's spines out of their thing you'd be crushing their heads you'd be like uh freezing them and then kicking them and they'd shatter all over the
3: place <laughs> and they kept on
2: making new and new and improved deaths
3: over the <laughs> years there was
2: a um there was a game called pit fighter that came out just before that that was one of the first like blood uh you know there's all this blood yeah. pit fighter was the was the you know the the parental guidance game it's yeah. fucking tame as shit when it's compared <laughs> yeah. to mortal kombat but uh but that was the prelude to mortal kombat
1: there was also something called like eternal champions that was i think on the genesis uh that uh that was also violent but what was missing obviously from the pgpg 13 version of the the first mortal kombat movie uh was the fatalities was, Mm -hmm. was the, the churlishness was the, you know, kind of the, the hyper violence and everything. And so this one that just came out, uh, it's got that, um, it's very CGI. This ain't the night comes for us. This ain't the raid. This ain't even John wick. Uh, but it, but it's satisfying. And I tell you what, man, I am becoming a fast super fan of uh, Joe Taslim. Uh, I mentioned him uh, when we are talking about The Night Comes For Us, uh, who plays the lead in opposition to Eco Uace in that movie. He's in the first Raid movie, and he plays Sub-Zero
3: in this. Mm-hmm. And
1: he's really, really good. And and the fight scenes are cut to hell, unlike the, uh, the, you know, the Raid movies and all that stuff. Uh, but there are a few, most featuring Joe uh, Taslam, uh, where there are longer takes and where there's a lot better action and and it's corny and it's cheesy and it's dumb but it's so it's so fun i would recommend you guys just to absolutely just have your brains leak out of your ears and just fucking watch this there is no mm. there's is, there's is no rhyme or reason the last thing i say about this is remember the the character Kano Jamie did you mm-hmm. ever play this game
0: I played it a few times in college. By then it was past its prime. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, uh, when it came out, I was probably still playing shit like Double Dribble and Mario. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: anyway, this Kano character has always been like the, um, I don't know, I guess he's been a villain in the games. I didn't follow like the, the whole uh, lore and mythology of this game uh, like everybody else did. I just knew who I was fighting, what their capabilities were, what the combos were, and that's it. Uh, but Kano, uh, it was always, you know, the British dude uh, that was like a mercenary or something like that, had a laser eye. And he steals this movie. Uh, he is he is given it's Josh Lawson that plays him. He's given the complete license to be the cackling anti hero type. And he eats it up. And the best part of it is uh, is the throwaway lines. You'll hear like, I can't even do it justice when you watch this. The most pleasure that you will get, make sure that you have uh, earbuds on or, or something like that to where you can hear these throwaway lines because they are absolutely hilarious. Much better than the actual thing itself. Uh, it's corny, it's cheesy, and it's it's not good, but I loved it. And I would mm-hmm. wreck a Mortal Kombat for any of you action lovers, uh, especially those that like the video game.
0: Where is that? Mm. Do I have to pay to HBO watch Max. that? It's HBO, HBO, Max. Max. Yeah. HBO Max
2: doing its long right. run. And before it, uh, I guess it goes into street, like whatever it goes into, the whatever it goes the, into for the, sure. The, the void. Um, uh, it's in theaters too. Uh, I mean, like all the, all the stuff is, is in theaters and streaming at the same time. Um, let's go through the recommends. We had Uh, we had a brief one here. Uh, Jeremy, uh, recommended million dollar arm. Mm Um, uh, uh, Barrett, um, wreck a warned mortal combat the new one that's on hbo max and theaters right now Mm -hmm. and i recommended capricorn one 1978 movie directed by peter hyams about a fake mars launch uh all right let's go to a question
3: question? i got something to say i want the truth i am listening
1: all right let's go to a question i love this because i love my answer i hate that i love that my answer but i love it what are your favorite songs not score that were made specifically for movies musicals Mm. work, but are kind of a cop-out, but there are certainly others example. Great example. Lose Yourself. Eminem's lose yourself is one of my favorite songs, period written for the movie eight mile, uh, but is definitely up there. If not at the top of Eminem's best output.
2: Mm. Hmm. Um, there's a song that I, I, I still haven't seen this movie. I think I've even brought up this thing before. But, um, the odd life of Timothy Green, the only reason why I know of this song called this gift, uh, by Glenn Hansard is because, uh, you know, I, I think I, there was some weird thing where I had to open up the window while the credits were rolling in that movie. And, uh, and, uh, because the lights didn't come up or something like that. And I heard the song and I was like, damn, I like this song. I like this song a lot and just listen to it all the way to the end. And then it became a thing where I would come around to the odd life of Timothy green, just to listen to the credits at the end of the, at the end and everything. This song is uh, probably for some, maybe a little bit too saccharine sweet. It comes at the end of a movie that is saccharine sweet and on its own, from what I understand. Um, uh, but, uh, Glenn Hansard has a hell of a voice. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he, he won an Oscar for once, uh, uh, back in the day, uh, that it was a very, very, uh, uh, very indie Irish film that put, shot him into fame. Uh, uh, and, uh, he won an Oscar for the song, uh, once, I believe is, believe the song was mm-hmm. called once. Um, and, uh, oh, the, I'm so, sorry,
1: the song is called falling slowly, falling uh, slowly, but it was in yeah, the
2: movie once, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so this song comes, uh, eh, it was a few years after that movie came out and everything, but uh, I really dug it, I ended up buying it on iTunes and it becomes a regular playlist type of thing for me to put on uh, just because his voice is so, is so engaging and everything. And the song is, the song is really good. I think it's really good. So there you go. Got a very Damien nice. rice voice. You remember Damien Rice? Hmm, I who, do. What? What from?
1: Uh, He had a song called The Blower's Daughter. Um,
2: Can't take my eyes off of you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, Great, great first album. But uh, yeah, Glenn Hansard is right in that sort of. uh, The Blower's Daughter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He also had uh, a wonderful song. I forget the name of it, uh, but that was featured when Hurley, is looking out onto the beach and lost in the first season, oh, yeah. and he's got the uh, the Walkman in or Desman or something like that before it runs
0: out of batteries. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm going to just mention that that thing you do would probably be my real true answer for this question, but I think I've talked about that movie and that song a bunch. So I went looking for another one, and I'm going to go with you could pick almost the entire magnolia soundtrack because amy Mann wrote most of it but uh, mm-hmm. the song save me uh from the magnolia soundtrack nominated for an oscar nominated for a grammy um she lost the oscar i was just reading on wikipedia she lost the oscar to uh phil collins you'll be in my heart it's always fucking has, Phil Collins, isn't it? And she has since referred to the song <laughs> as the song that lost an Oscar to Phil Collins in his cartoon Monkey Love song. Um, <laughs> and sometimes she dedicates it to Collins when she performs
3: it. <laughs> Man, people, hate the right <laughs> people hate losing to Phil
0: Collins.
2: People hate losing to Phil Collins. <laughs> South Park did the same thing yeah, they after did. they lost for, you know, he won for Tarzan. He
1: around his Oscars.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's is, it is, yeah, and they, they put they, they did two things with phil collins in south park one they made uh the um they made a, an impossible ski mountain out of his head yeah in yeah, one yeah. episode and then they put actually put him in where he's like he's like coming in he's like you know he's just an asshole uh <laughs> and you can hear it in the i think it's in the commentary where they're like they're like, yeah, we were a little bit immature about losing to Phil Collins.
0: Anyway, that's that's me. That's my answer. Barry, you oh. got an answer?
2: Oh, okay.
1: I thought I didn't know if you were going to talk about Amy Mann anymore, but obviously, oh no,
0: no, I'm done. Is
1: that's not the? Uh, it's not going to stop. Is the uh, the one that they sing at the, v- the very end? Right? Of uh,
3: Magnolia.
1: It's not. Oh, wise up is the name. It's of the wise, song.
0: Up. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. wise up.
1: Yeah, uh, wise up. That is that is a. I don't care what your thoughts are about Magnolia. That whole sequence is absolutely brilliant I think mm-hmm.
3: because
2: uh, it captures all those characters at their, I guess their lowest uh, point uh, and uh, they're all, yeah, they're all singing that song and it's just, yeah, I, I love Magnolia. No, I know it's got, it's got its, uh you know, whatever criticisms have gone its way are probably valid, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I remember watching that movie Hollywood 27 and, and uh, previewing it or whatever before it came out. And I remember it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's like, a late night. I, I fucking love that movie, man. That's fucking crazy.
1: By the way, the Damien Rice uh, song that was featured in Lost is called Delicate, uh, and you will recognize it if you listen to it. I have my favorite answer to this, uh, this question uh, that, I, that I thought of after I answered it at the beginning, and it's Sunflower. Uh, on Spider-Man mm. Into the Spider-Verse mm. by two artists that I've never gotten into <laughs> what whatsoever. Uh, Sway Lee, <laughs> uh, who was part of a duo.
0: Sway Swaley, Black Beatles, Crisscross, oh, What is it? Race Remord.
1: So part of the duo Race Remord uh, that uh, was famous for Black Beatles and stuff like that. Um, uh, 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 Sway Lee and Post fucking Malone. Who mm-hmm. I actually kind of want to like, but I can't get there. There's a couple of his songs that I that I that I can get behind. Don't, uh, do you
2: think you think he's got a good voice though? Right.
1: Yeah, I do. I don't. I don't like the autotune. I don't like the auto tune and the uh, the trill, the it, the vibrato it, that he does.
2: Yeah. Do you do you think that he doesn't have a good voice, but he's auto tuned? like into a like passable voice or what i think
1: it's the other way around i think he's got a really good voice it's like bieber man i think he's got a really
0: good voice and he doesn't need the auto tune that right. makes it untenable post malone yeah 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 remember i think uh, a couple of years ago i sent you guys a video after we talked yeah. about him of him singing a bob dylan song redemption bob song marley maybe song. bob marley song Is what yeah, i meant yeah. um I got my bobs mixed up. Um, mm-hmm. And he's got an excellent voice. And that is the most maddening thing to me about autotune. I understand when Kanye West does it, because he can't do any better than that. <laughs> but but Ariana Grande doesn't need to autotune. No. And yet sometimes she does. Same with Bieber, like you said. I feel like autotune could be his middle name, but his maiden name could be Don't Need It. That was mm-hmm. a bad... I kind of play like that shit. <laughs> That's a long name. But yeah, no, I, 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 Swaley is the, the
1: credited artist, and I think Post Malone is featured on it. But man, that is such a good song. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason it that, is. that Miles uh, listens to this song to calm his ass down uh, in the movie. Uh, it's so perfect. I mean, like, I will just absolutely jam out. We were talking in the pre-show, uh, Jeremy was saying that uh, the uh, Billie Eilish's I Think Therefore I Am— like he will crank that shit whenever it comes up and I will too. But Sunflower, when it comes on, man, I'm rolling every window down. I'm Mm -hmm. singing at the top of my lungs and I'm turning that shit way up. It's such a a beautiful song.
2: This is a rare moment when I was listening to Epic, awesome videos in the morning when a song would come on and I didn't mind how many times they played it.
3: That's it's a very rare. It's
2: very rare when this happens that, and, uh, um uh, blind, uh blinded by the lights or whatever the uh the
1: uh, oh, weekend the weekend
2: Yeah, weekend song uh those those songs are the only ones i think of this uh, era in which i've watched epic awesome videos that i'm like oh i don't mind that song being played at all right now well not to and, uh, mention the
1: video is beautiful because it mm-hmm. follows the same aesthetic as you know, the lettering on the movie itself, it's got all the mm-hmm. lyrics in there, but it's like it's revealed like miles will move a book. And then all of a sudden that the lyric that they're singing is right there.
3: Yeah, and,
1: yeah. Oh, I love that song so much. Did not expect to love that song because, as I said, I'm not a huge fan of either one of those guys. Uh, but it it's one of those songs. It's a apples and oranges, but it's something like Uptown Funk where everybody loves uptown funk you can't not Mm -hmm. love uptown funk you can't not love sunflower if you do there's something hideously (laughs) wrong with you
2: (laughs) you are a bad human being right you're a bad human
1: being Uh, so i mean we're just going to leave it there sunflower uh Mm -hmm. but i like all your answers too
2: well i think that's going to do it for this episode yeah bubba um all right well that's going to do it uh go to keep going to sincast presented by cinema Sids on facebook uh, quite a few of you came out and and uh, told told me why you don't come to Facebook anymore. Most of them involve Facebook themselves uh, <laughs> uh, and other general things like that. I'm I'm a, a very appreciative that some of you came out and answered uh, that question as to why some of you aren't coming back. Although I, I think really, unfortunately, this message isn't getting to a lot of the people who ha- don't don't uh, write anymore. So. You know, i have to deal with it, I guess. But uh, just uh, just uh, thank you for, for uh, giving me some of your answers. Uh, we're also on CinemaSense Twitter, Sense Twitter, uh, SoundCloud, and Discord. If you want to get on Discord, go to Facebook and private message me and I'll give you a link there. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com. Have you listened to any recent Ben Folds?
0: I listened to that concerto thing he did three or four years ago.
1: Yeah, and it was lovely, but it wasn't whatever and ever amen.
0: Oh, Jesus. I'm saying your best work. Reinhold
1: Messner Messner was when he was like 26. You're so full of shit. Tell me somebody that has had their best album after 30. We already lied about how old Adele is.
0: You said she was 82. You were just off by 50 years. (laughs) I'm, I'm having a hard time. What's up, Chris?
3: discussing
0: this with you because you're being unreasonable. I'm not being unreasonable.
1: There's a long, long history of 30 being the wrong side for running backs in the NFL and pop singers.
0: Now you're pulling sports into this just to support your claim. Oh, man. I'm telling you. there's uh, Nirvana's best
1: stuff was when they were in their 20s, obviously. They were all in their 20s. Smashing Pumpkins all in their twenties.
0: So Ben Folds was born in '66, and Reinhold Messner came out in '99. That means he was thirty-three you shit-eating dick. I didn't realize he was that old. Of course you didn't. You just assumed you were right and charged into the battle headlong. But would most
1: people consider that to be their best album?
0: Uh if His they have album. a brain, it's better than the first one. But well, it's I
1: better also than the first one for sure.
2: I also think that. Uh, best album as a is a straw man too because that's a good uh, point because you're saying that they they fall off the the table uh creatively if Mm. that album is amazing then who cares if it's their best album or not Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. um, bruce springsteen by the way i i'm not a big fan of bruce springsteen but born in the usa was made when he was 37 or 30 yeah eat shit that. I mean,
0: now he's they, they, 82. Yes. He actually may be 82.
2: <laughs> he's he's uh, he's uh, 72. Uh, but he's uh, yeah, he was 36 with Born in the USA. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was. I mean, Born in the USA was what, 84? So he's like 35, 34,
0: 35. If you think uh. Mick jagger's going to be out there when he's
3: 50.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, by and large, the best work. That uh, that you see from people is typically before thirty.
0: And what the fuck it's weird, are, are we doing?
1: It's, it's the exact opposite for writers. It's the exact opposite for writers. You don't publish shit until you're thirty, right? <laughs> Anything before thirty, any writer will tell you, including you, probably that
0: it's it's bullshit, right?
1: This yeah, world really is, I bullshit. Write is bullshit. No, it's not.
0: <sighs> let's talk about. You. Let's talk about something you don't you don't disagree with me on for the sake of comedy. (laughs) No. Do you? Okay. So, but to to tie this up in a bow, do you disagree (laughs) with me? Do you,
1: do you think that most or even a large number of artists
0: have their best work after 30? I don't think that was the point you were making. Again, you're, you're completely changing the conversation. Your argument was that they don't make good work after no, 30. no, I said their best work, right? You said the best work their came before 30. Problem. Yes, but, but we Bangers are already is going to be what to you, you go back to. I disagree with the blanket statement, and I think you can cherry pick examples on both sides. So, I don't think your statement is true. What did Prince do when he was after 30? Graffiti bridge, all right. I mean, Diamonds a, and Pearls, man, I'll he's give you the his, rag on on his work, Favorite artist, just to make his point. <sighs> His best work
1: was Purple Rain when he was in his 20s. I'm just saying.
0: Mm. You know whose best work was before they were 30?
1: <laughs> I would like to know the end of that sentence.
0: Jim Morrison?
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. oh no. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the same could go for, you know, just name them all off.
1: You know, God bless <laughs> him. I, I yeah, yeah. I don't want to <laughs> disparage him, but... Can you imagine how insufferable Jim Morrison would have been if he lived into the like the eighties? That would have been oh, awful.
0: If it would be, have been I awful. But I don't know their music. The only all I know is that movie. And if he's anything like that movie, then he would be insufferable.
1: <laughs> Val Kilmer, <laughs> from
0: from what I understand, he's kind of like Val Kilmer's character in that
2: movie. You know, you don't listen to the Doors. Did you ever uh, have a Doors face? Man, I, I I I bought a Doors album back in I don't know 1992 or something like that. It was their first one, I think. One's got all. It may it might even be a greatest hits or whatever, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I don't like the Doors, man. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I think there was one song on there that I kind of liked, and it wasn't one of their more famous ones. It might have been like Whiskey Bar or something like that. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. But no, I'm uh, not a fan.
1: Break on through is a good rock song. Oh,
2: of course, yeah, yeah. Break on through is. it's cool.
1: like fucking riders on the storm. You can mm-hmm. just fucking come in my eyeball.
2: <laughs> that that don't, that's either positive or like for negative. something. Sounds like a white <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was. i was looking for an unpleasant experience and of course that, that came up.
0: yeah i was gonna say you
1: know what probably the best doors album is is the fucking soundtrack to that movie mm. that's
0: uh that's a good soundtrack it's basically like mm. a greatest hits then it is a great yeah for sure
1: mm. like this is the end god damn My like do you really think anchors. the beatles
0: best work was their first two albums I want to hold your
1: no, hand. That's, no, no, no. I I that's a that's a fallacy though. And <laughs> because no, obviously not. Their best <clears throat> album was the white album. Beach Boys' best album in my mind was Pet Sounds. Now, I don't know exactly how old they were when those came out. Brian Wilson was probably around 30 when Pet Sounds came out.
2: Yeah, I mean Both McCartney and Wilson were born in 1942, so I think that's before they were 30, those albums.
1: Okay. And Dewey Cox was... Because
2: Pet Sounds was 60s, right?
1: Yeah, Pet Sounds was 66. 66.
2: '66. So he was 26 when Pet Sounds came out. And um, that means Paul McCartney was... (laughs) uh 26 when the white album came out
1: so there you go no i don't think they're their first ones and especially the beast boys and the beatles because they were all like introducing the beach boys is their first album but
2: you know you know why you know why this is right you know why this is you know you know why that they're they're not making their best music after 30 don't you because of drugs no it's because they're not hungry anymore and they yeah and, sure. and they 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 don't have any experiences anymore that are that are uh, inspiring them to to create and things like that um and i think also you become uh really really self-aware after a lot of success um, the same
1: thing with stand-up comedians right mm,
2: there are a lot of there are a lot of People who experience a lot of success, and I mean, yeah, I mean, it's why rap doesn't rappers don't last very long. As far as they don't have like a huge, you know, twenty-year career or anything. We can say all we want about Eminem being awesome at whatever age, but he's not coming out with another Eminem show or anything like that or Marshall Mathers LP or anything like that. I mean, he's keeps,
0: he's put out, he's put out good music, but he doesn't get any play. And I think that's what you I thought that's where you were going was that once you go past 30, you're not as sexy anymore. So they don't market yeah, you as much and the radio doesn't play you as much. And you're not the hot new shit. And so only, only few, very few, like a Taylor Swift have that kind of popularity for 20 plus years. Um, and usually everybody else, you know, I don't know. I think that's, I think no, it's probably that a factors combination.
2: Too. That yeah. factors too. <clears throat> There's no doubt about it. The, the, the sexiness factor. Cause yeah, they, people, when you get an MTV or the, you're young, you're energetic, all that. When you get in your thirties, you know, you might be looking to, I don't know, seal your legacy in some way or. You know, you're not out there trying to preen for the cameras and everything. And I like to see Ariana Grande do what she's doing seven years from now.
0: Yeah. If you think yeah. Mick Jagger's gonna be out there at fifty. Right. Um
1: <laughs> uh, one one last thing on singers though. Um Billy Eilish is coming out with a new album. I saw that. mm hmm.
3: Um
1: I th- I've done a lot she's of done. thinking about this. She's she does, yeah. She's what, twenty? She's 19? Too old. I think she's yeah, twenty. She's over the hill. Her best works behind her uh possibly Mm -hmm. but uh you
0: you know what i think
1: my favorite song of hers is is that uh therefore i am that song is fucking
0: baller it is it's my favorite song of hers too i was just gonna counter you by saying uh, everything i hear from her gets better and better so for now she's still on the way up
1: yeah yeah and i love that first album i love a lot of songs on there i love bad guy but man, that Therefore I Am is just running through my head when, like constantly.
0: When I catch that on any of the stations, I'll turn it up. And the other day yeah. I turned it up and my wife said, oh, there's your jam. So it's now like she, it's obvious that I just love, fucking love that song. I've turned it up so
1: baseline, man. Fucking bass
0: boom, man. It's just it's that combined with the attitude of the lyrics and how she sings them like mm-hmm. i don't give a fuck about you dude i made yeah. a whole song about it <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i like i like her, i like her thing i like the cut of her jib yeah
2: man i, I yeah i like I, I like her a lot um i'm not surprised she's got another album I'm, I'm almost surprised it's not a double album considering just the way she is and everything like uh, the pandemic was like, you know, I'm just gonna write a billion songs and get in get into my room with my brother, and we're gonna do the studio thing there, and blah blah. That's blah. a crazy
1: thing, man. Those two are like fucking that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have the experience of like being super close with the sibling, but like they are super super close. Yeah,
3: yeah,
0: yeah, they yeah. are. And,
1: and and I mean, God bless them. I mean, he's mm-hmm. older than her, right? He's like yeah. probably in his. Yes. I think but he's like five or six years
0: older than her. Something to be said. I mean, obviously, she makes great music, and I'm sure she would with anyone, but he, he's a big contribution to her music. And I bet he came up with that I'd baseline. Seen, well, and I've seen, seen I've, listened, I've, I've heard several songs by artists on Alt Nation um, that he produced uh, yeah. that are awesome outside of working with Billy. So he's got a he's got a talent and a career of his own too. Of course he's got an album where he sings too, but um mm, That's all right. I like it, but you know me, I like James eha's solo album. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: that's a pretty good comparison actually. <laughs>
1: That's the first time anyone's ever heard of James E. That's, since a deep, 1997. that's a deep cut
0: there for you folks. No, yeah. I
1: don't even have James e. <laughs>
0: Oh, I've got the CD, baby. Um it's in the garage. Uh, so you don't have to do research folks. James E. Huff, if this portion gets used in the outtakes is uh a member of Smashing Pumpkins and uh he put out uh a solo album. It's decidedly unsmashing pumpkins like it's very light, happy, acoustic guitar, poppy bops, uh, like Hanson type music. I dug the shit out Oh, I don't know where it was. It must have been on Twitter. I saw a video of Miley at some kind of party or something singing that song, singing those lyrics he just sang. And And then you watched it a dozen more times? No, uh, just the one. And then I went to the bathroom. mm -hmm. I had to go number three. It needed cleaning. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is number three a thing? Did I just make, did I just coin Mm -hmm, it? Number three, yeah.
2: (laughs) While elevening my nine. (laughs) Um.
0: (laughs) I just deconstructed it because. Of how it's staged, because he asks the question when they're all standing in a group, and then oh, it cuts, yeah. and the group is in the background, and the one guy's in front, and I'm like, like who's staging this? Who yells yeah. cut? And I'm like, oh, you guys move to the back yeah. now. And Teddy, then- you come <laughs> forward. Somebody yeah. sits in yeah. the chair. <laughs> it doesn't make and, any goddamn sense.
2: And they're asking, they're asking the dregs of this high school yeah, right, to go out right. with her right. too. Yeah. The guy <laughs> who screams, I'm like. Fuck you, dude! Oh yeah, he's yeah, like you he's, never he's had like a shot 600. anyway. Go Seriously. fuck yourself!
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: the girl who plays Julia Styles, uh, like best friend in that movie, I think is thirty or something.
0: Wow, she's she's oh, really? she's, she's, she's like
2: twenty seven, twenty eight. Gab- <laughs> uh, is it? Is it? Is gab Yeah, Gabrielle Union mm-hmm. is is like in her late twenties, playing a high school girl in that
1: movie. Seriously? Yeah. Damn. Wow. But,
2: but the, the 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 other friend I, maybe she's not 30 but she's up she's like up there for a high school girl susan may um, pratt yeah sure i think that's part. who it is the one that david crumholtz ends up with yeah and there's that funny outtake at the end where they're like he's like kissing her or whatever and and uh and she co she goes out of the frame and he's like could i get a prophylactic Anybody got a prophylactic in here?
0: (laughs) I love David Grumholtz, man. I do too, man. She's
2: almost 50, and she looks better than we will ever look. Yes, Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Looks
0: better than I did when I was a ripe young. (laughs) No, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who changed my thinking. Um, and I was still pretty conservative at this point. This was like 2004. I was working at this church and the youth pastor there was about my age, a really cool guy. And, um, they had a recycling program and he and I were having a conversation one day where I was like, we're just, we're just wasting money. We're just, this. if if you look at it, we're not making a dent and we're just spending money spinning our wheels. And he said, That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me for a really long time. And he was conservative. I don't know if he was Republican, but he was, you know, a youth pastor. He was, for him, it was very biblically based. He said, you know, we're stewards of the earth, just like we are of our fellow man. And we still have to try and do something. Uh, And that probably started, that was probably, God, now that I'm saying it out loud, that was probably one of the few moments that started tilting me Toward the left and being woke, if you will. By
1: by saying that he essentially expelled you from Christianity.
0: Yeah, if only he knew. Eventually. If (laughs) only he knew. Yeah, your your uh, wonderful views on climate change actually cost heaven a soul. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Way to go, Mm -hmm. dickhead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're my butterfly, sugar, baby. (laughs) <laughs> come, my lady, come, 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 my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar, <laughs> baby. <laughs> my <laughs> wife was reading about limoncello, and so yeah. I decided to buy some because mm-hmm. it's like a common. It's it's like an Italian thing, and it's mm-hmm. a, a a type of liquor that is uh, helps with digestion, which I didn't mm-hmm. know, which is why it's like an after meal thing people do. So I went to this I went to this liquor store, and I probably got scammed because I just said, my wife wants to try a limoncello. And the lady walked me over and pointed me to this shelf, and there was one brand, and it was a big bottle, and it said limoncello. And so I bought it, and um, she did not like it. And um, I bet there was a tiny <laughs> bottle behind her on the shelf I could have bought if I'd asked for it.
1: So now you have a giant bottle of limoncello. <laughs>
0: And it's in the fridge.
1: I do remember there was one time, a long time ago, where uh, Danny DeVito was on The View, and it went it went viral. This was probably maybe 2010 or something like that. It went viral because he was obviously hammered. Oh. and And like Whoopi or Joy or whoever the fuck it was, Star Jones, uh, asked him about it, and he was like, I got to be honest with you. And his Danny DeVito voice is, I got to be honest with you. I've been out with George Clooney all night doing limoncello shots. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, things got out of hand. <laughs> I'll send you the link to this interview. It's fucking hilarious. He looks even like kind of more Danny DeVito-y than he normally
0: does. That's awesome. I just read about a new movie project. Speaking of Clooney, it sounds weird, man. Cause I, I the headline in the picture was about Caitlyn Deaver um, signing on to a new project, but it's a George Clooney, um, Julia Roberts project. And I was like, oh, that sounds a little interesting. But then I read about it and it's a, two um, separated or divorced parents that hate each other uh, come together to stop their daughter from making the same mistake they did by getting married too young, directed by the guy who made the Mama Mia sequel and it just feels like six days seven nights to me uh quality and maybe even look and feel like i'm not excited for this one Uh, look it
1: sounds bad Clooney doesn't need anything he's got a mall he's doing diplomatic stuff he's living in lake como he's got all the money in the world but i feel like he's wasting the end of his prime you know what i I mean mean, he
0: did that money money monster yeah it was terrible it was bad he um, did Midnight
1: Sky, that was terrible.
0: He did I, the feel, I feel
1: like he's Midnight Sky, that Netflix and yeah, yeah. Um, I feel. I I mean he's got plenty he's got late career Paul Newman uh potential. Uh but he I, far be it from me, man. He's he's got everything he needs. <laughs> and I would be doing probably the same thing he did, but like I, I wish I wish we got a little more like premium Clooney uh before he hangs yeah. it
0: up. He's got to stop trying to make fetch happen.
2: Mm -hmm. That's true.
1: That really has been his calling card. Um, Mm -hmm. That whole, like, we're helping kids in Syria thing has been a front for a long time. He's just trying to make fetch happen. Mm -hmm. I was talking to
0: my wife about um, celebrity presidential candidates after The Rock came out on Instagram. First of all, there was, like, some sort of story, poll or something that said, the rock should run. And then the rock a day or so later comes out on his Instagram with this whole, I doubt the founding fathers had a half Samoan, half, whatever, six three, 900 pound, something in mind when it came to the oval office. But if I ever got the call, I would be proud to serve. And I was explaining to my wife that that means he's seriously considering running. Nothing. This man does. Is anything short of image conscious calculation. The man has clauses in his contract about how many punches he can take in movies so that he still looks like the guy who can't take a punch. Uh, so he doesn't post this Instagram message as a, as a lark. This means he's thinking about it. Just like McConaughey has now two or three times floated out. Yeah, I might do it one day. Now they got him polling higher than the sitting governor. Um <clears throat> this is going to happen. Maybe not these specific people, but this is the future. And this is why I was saying Clooney might run. Um, And my wife rolled her eyes and I said, well, at least, you know, you know, he's a good man. He spends millions of dollars on the satellite time just to monitor this border in Africa to keep illegal trafficking from happening. You don't do that. That's not something he talks about frequently. That's not something he goes around publicizing. He's not doing that for, I mean, you know, if we're going to have celebrity actor presidents, and I, and I believe, well, first of all, we already have, but I believe we will, and it may be no turning back. Let's at least get behind the ones that seem to be decent people, right? Yeah. Yep, like McConaughey yeah. doesn't seem so bad. I don't know, I don't know at the end of the day whether he would go to Cancun if the state was freezing, uh, but I somehow doubt it. I yeah, give him that's the bar.
2: That is the bar for Texas
0: <laughs> politicians. It's a point. low bar.
2: Put a, you know, put a, uh, uh, you know, run him up against a fucking teddy bear with his eye missing and fucking get teddy. You know, this, this you, you wouldn't. Just, bobo. You, can't, you can't get rid of these guys yeah exactly
0: <laughs> i can see the campaign ads now
3: what's is that the, from the Bobo?
0: That, is that the one that ends with him with his head on a robot body looking or carrying bobo around in the future yeah
2: it's at the very end Aaron, yeah. like humans are getting whipped and i think the it's the planet of the apes almost yeah, uh yeah, or something yeah. like that something like uh, that and he's like, he's like, oh, boo boo. I know it's been a thousand years, but <laughs> you know, something like that. Is, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs>